Hello, this is Ben Passman, Arizona Lodge number two, and I'm speaking on the level with Bo Buchanan. Bo, tell us your full name. My full name is Robert Francis Buchanan III. And tell us the name of your home blue lodge. My home blue lodge is Arizona Lodge number two. And any titles or offices that you may hold associated with that lodge? I am the junior deacon. Junior Deacon, fantastic. And are you a member of any other Masonic organizations or appendant bodies? I am a member of the Scottish Rite, Valley of Phoenix, Orient of Arizona. Southern jurisdiction. Southern jurisdiction. Fantastic. Now that we've gotten through all of that, let's have a conversation. So, Bo, tell me, how did you hear about this thing called Freemasonry? So, I have a hard time remembering exactly when I heard of Masonry. I know that when I was a kid, uh, probably in high school, I know I learned about uh, uh, a lot of our founding fathers being Masons, but before that, it seems to me like I knew I had seen the symbol before at buildings, and I really probably didn't um, think much of it because I went to some of those groups as a Boy Scout looking for money for camps. I went to the Loyal Order of the Moose. I may have went to the Masons. I don't know. I know there was a lodge in Downers Grove where I grew up. Um, so I, I know I was aware of them, but I really didn't have an opinion or know much about them or think much about them really at all. So when did you, I guess, gain awareness? I think when I first became curious was uh, when my grandmother gave me some documents that belonged to my grandfather. Um, I was doing some family research, um, family history. My grandfather passed away when I was very young. Uh, probably three or four, so I never knew. This is the grandfather on my mother's, on my father's side, my namesake. My grandfather was Robert F. Francis Buchanan the first. My dad was the second, and I'm the third. So at some point, I became curious. It was after I moved from Pennsylvania back to Illinois for a job, and I was uh, living in uh, Oswego, Montgomery area, and my grandfather had been a nuclear scientist at uh, Fermilab, or at Argonne. I'm sorry. Um, and I had known this, and I was always kind of curious, what exactly did he do? Just the fact that he was a nuclear scientist kind of intrigued me. So I remember calling one day to see what I could find out, and they're like, oh, yeah, we can give you a tour. You know, we still got some papers of his, and I'm like, really? So I'm like, okay. So I went down to Argonne, and I literally met a secretary who had worked with him. She knew my grandfather. She was so excited that she got to meet me, um, told me how nice he was, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she pulled out this folder of papers, scientific published papers, uh, pictures from Argonne, employee pictures, awards, the pictures of him at an, an award dinner, um, just stuff that I felt like I had just found this treasure that no one else in my family, my father, my uncles, no one had ever thought to, to go there and look for this. So I was very excited. I took everything she gave me. I got a, a tour of the building. I even got a book with uh, published, uh, oh, I didn't get that for them. I got a book with his published articles. Um, so it was very exciting, and, and after I did that, I was telling my, my grandmother, who's actually my step-grandmother, Marilyn, who you know, um, and Marilyn uh, said, oh, I still have some things of his, I, I should give them to you. So she sent me this book I was telling you about that uh, he had published papers in, as well as some papers, and I was sorting through the papers, and all of a sudden I come across this uh, Masonic certificate from when he was raised, and I was like... I had always kind of been intrigued, and I had seen some of the movies, National Treasure, and those sorts of things. I knew the, the, the lore and legend of masonry at that point in my life, but never really paid attention to it. It was just something for the movies. But all of a sudden, when I saw this certificate, it was like, bing, a light went on, and there was this connection, and I was like, 
my God, my grandfather was a Mason. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. So I immediately, there was a Masonic Lodge in downtown Oswego. I immediately drove by, looked in the window, looked around, see if anyone was there. I called, I got an answering machine, nobody answered. I went online, I don't even remember if they had a website or if it said what day, but I remember calling and leaving a message and somebody called me back and told me when they met and then uh, I just never went. So that was when I first became really curious and discovered and got interested in masonry. And how many years went by from the time that you, I guess, hit that dead end and then found yourself re-engaged and interested and participating as a mason yourself? Probably about four years. So I, I got interested and then, you know, as, as a lot of things, life got busy. I was in real estate at the time and the market was going south and uh, so I was preoccupied and had a lot of other things going on and just kind of really, it was in the back of my mind. I researched it a little bit. I remember going online, looking at a few websites and then uh, just kind of faded away and I really didn't think about it. Um, I ended up selling my house uh, and moving here to Phoenix, Arizona and uh, really didn't didn't think about it a whole lot until you said to me, and I'm trying to remember the first time you told me you were going downtown for something, and I think you asked what, and you're like, you're going to Lodge. And I was like, Lodge? And then you told me you were going to uh, Masonic Lodge. And the first time you said that, I was like, really? I kind of wanted to see if you stuck with it. I wasn't sure. I'm like, oh, maybe Ben will lose interest. He won't go. He'll go, and then I'll, he'll give up on it, and he won't, he won't find it really interesting. So I remember you went, and then I remember a couple of times we talked about what you were, you were doing. You were taking, walking the degrees. You didn't tell me anything specific, but I remember just kind of getting general updates. And then one day you were like, yeah, I'm getting raised. You were doing your third degree, and I was like, Wow, that was fast. It was, I think it took place over a couple of months for you, right? Yeah, it was about six months, yeah. About six months, so I was like, interesting. Um, then I don't really remember talking to you much about it or really talking about masonry until I know you moved to Texas, and then it wasn't until you, and I don't even remember talking to you in Texas about masonry. Maybe we did, maybe we didn't, but I remember when you came back, and you, you were going to Lodge, and uh, I said, I want to go. And I went. And it was only a couple of dinners before you were petitioned and voted and now a Mason. So how long have you been a Mason? So I've been a Mason, oh my gosh, I should have looked this up before we did this interview. <laughs> I honestly... Two years, huh? No, two years. No, it's coming up on... Three years. Four Goodness gracious. I think it's going to be my fourth anniversary. i got to look it up this year. It's in, uh, we don't even know how September, long. September, October. I know I put the dates on the side of my computer. It's three or four years. But I remember the first time I walked into the, the Temple Building, downtown Phoenix. And when you walk in the Temple Building, it's a very old building built in, it's almost 100 years old at this point. Um, and walking in and walking down the stairs into this dining room, I swear I felt like I'd been there before. I mm. felt like... I'm supposed to be here. Like I literally walked in the door and thought, I'm home. This is my place. And that was the overwhelming. It was just overwhelming the minute I walked in that room. Yeah. So tell me, I guess, about masonry, right? I, I, I certainly had a preconceived idea of some sort, and we all do. Maybe it's clear, maybe it isn't. But what are the things, I guess, about masonry like that that have impressed you in ways that you didn't expect? Well, I knew about the Shriners, 
I knew about the Shriners hospitals, even going back to, I, I got to say, I must have had some connection or something back in my Boy Scout days. I, I was a Boy Scout as a youth. I was an Eagle Scout. I became an Eagle Scout. Um, I always knew about Shriners. I always saw them in the parades. I always thought the cars were really cool and the funny hats with the tassels. I remember knowing about those when I was younger. And then uh, when I was, uh, oh gosh, 10 years ago, I guess it would have been uh, 2006, before I, and I'm pretty sure that was before I knew my grandfather was a Mason, uh, my niece uh, in Iowa was diagnosed with SMA, spinal muscular atrophy, and that's a MD, muscular dystrophy, the MDA class of disease, and it was, it was a shock. She wasn't diagnosed right away, but it was kind of a shock to the whole family. It meant that her body wasn't developing right and that she was probably never going to walk and she was going to be in a wheelchair, and it was a very difficult time for my sister. And uh, the, diag- the official diagnosis, I think, or, or at least part of the process was uh, Maddie ended up going to Shriners Hospital in Chicago. And there were a couple of Shriners who drove my sister and my niece from Iowa to Chicago. So I thought that I had no idea they did those sorts of things, and I thought that was pretty cool. I was, uh, and that sparked another interest in me. So really it was a couple of things over the period of time that kind of led me to masonry. But I had also known that I, I had, I had uh, um, had a sense, I don't know where it came from, that the Masons were a Masonic or were a charitable organization. It was a group of men who were trying to do things uh, to improve the community. That was the impression I had. I'm not really sure where that came from other than the Shriners. Um, but that was probably all I knew, short of the, the movie, what I'd seen in the movies, um, you know, the conspiracy part. I mean, uh, you know, I'd always, I had known about who the Knights Templar were, and in my mind there was a connection between the Knights Templar and Masonry. Um, you know, I had I had read some religious history about, you know, the Ark and, and where, what really happened to the Ark and were the, were the uh, Knights Templar involved in that or things like that, those kind of crazy historical conspiracy things I had known about. But about the organization, other than the Shriners, I didn't know much about it. I didn't know the Shriners were a different group or the same group. I really didn't know a whole lot about Masonry. So now that you've been a Mason for a few years and you've worked your way uh, through a couple of chairs in line and stuff, what are some of the things, I guess, that um, were, that, that, I guess, give me a sense of the things that you feel like you've gained or learned that maybe you didn't expect to? I think the big, and I'll preface this by saying I've done 78 of these interviews now, and I'm really excited to be on the other side of the chair here because I've heard a lot of things from other brothers that have resonated for me, and one of the big ones is, to answer your question, is this sense of brotherhood I discovered that I didn't expect. I thought, okay, it's an organization, blah, blah, I'll join, I'll make some friends, I'm thinking a bunch of guys are going to hit me up for business stuff like the Rotary or Kiwanis or something, right? I'm thinking, okay. But instead, I started to develop this real deep connection to people that I didn't expect. I let my guard down quicker with with a lot of these guys than I would have ordinarily. And so it was kind of a walking in the door 
at first, you know, you put on a, a little bit of errors, like a first date almost, right? You walk in the door, you try and be your best behavior, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden you realize, well, it's just a bunch of guys. So you let your, your guard down and you're just yourself, which is what I did. I let myself be myself. And then I saw the good and the bad and the flaws and the um, good parts of other brothers. And it just, the, the longer I've been here, the more I've let myself just kind of be who I am. And sometimes it's hard to do that in business and out in the world. You, you put up these certain walls. And I, I think I've let those walls down in masonry more than I expected. And as a result, I've made some good friends in very short order that uh, I, I didn't expect the brotherhood component to be so strong, and it is. Cool. So... Like you said, you've done 78 of these interviews and it's given you an opportunity to go and meet with all different kinds of people from different lodges and organizations, some even from out of town, I'm sure, and um, getting a, a different perspective. What do you think about um, the future of masonry as maybe you reflect on the trends that you picked up on from talking to so many people? I, you know, the irony is that uh, I really don't think anything has changed in masonry. Uh, one of the things I've been doing in the Scottish Rite is doing what they call this Master Craftsman series, and, part, and you're doing it as well. And part of that entails going back and reading a little bit about the history of masonry. And when you read some of the works by Albert Pike, you realize that back in the, in the foundings of masonry, masons argued over what direction the, the craft should go, what should ritual look like, what you know, things should we be involved in, how should we do things. It's never changed. So when I see those things happening now in masonry, it almost kind of it doesn't bother me because I realize this stuff's been going on for eternity. Men always have different ideas and different uh, views of how things should be done. So I hear some people that get kind of concerned about the future of masonry because they see brothers fighting or disagreeing, but that's just normal. I'll tell you, if you have a brother, I have a brother, a real a blood brother I grew up with, and I'm telling you, nobody pisses me off like my brother. But there's that, there's that bond and there's that connection that is stronger than anything else. And I kind of equate that to masonry that, yeah, I've seen some guys getting some pretty strong arguments. I've gotten mad at people, but you put that aside because you're brothers, just like my blood brother. You put it aside because you're brothers and you move forward. So the future of masonry, I think, looks pretty good. I think it's survived hundreds of years, survived longer than that. If you look at some of the historical documents, I think the earliest uh, manuscript, the Opus, forget what it's called. The earliest manuscript is like 600 years old that refers to masonry. So it's been around a long time. Um, it's seen some ups and downs. I see technology and the changing of society is actually a good thing for masonry. I think that uh, society is kind of disconnected. And what, because of technology, computers, email, you know, the busyness of life, uh, we're kind of disconnected out there, and I think masonry offers an opportunity for people to get reconnected on a, on a deeper level than you're used to seeing on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, when you walk into a job or in a bar, you look around, you don't know what those people are thinking or what the basis of their life is. When you walk into a lodge, you know that there are a couple of things that we've all agreed to, and maybe some people believe in them stronger than others, but we know that uh, we believe that we take good men and we make them better. And I have to start with that understanding with every Mason, every Mason I meet that, that we are all working to improve ourselves, that we're all working 
to go from the rough ashlar to the perfect ashlar. And we're all somewhere along that path. Some of us are closer to the perfect ashlar than others, but none of us are a perfect ashlar. It ain't happening. So I, I see an opportunity for masonry to fill that void for men, to fill that, to be that camaraderie that I think so many men are missing, whether maybe it's because your, your parents were divorced and your father wasn't around a lot. Maybe, you know, you were raised by grandparents or your parents died young, or you just weren't close to your father because as men, sometimes we have a hard time being close to other men. Masonry gives you that opportunity to put all that aside and say, here's a fraternity for men, and I know some people might, well, you got to include women. Well, I, I think men need a place to get together. So I think masonry is good in that respect. Um, I think the future of masonry looks bright. I think uh, it's an opportunity for it to grow uh, or become stronger. It doesn't necessarily have to grow in numbers. You know, the longer I'm in masonry, I think, you know, maybe it's not such a bad thing that it's gotten a little bit smaller and, and the guys involved are more serious things change, uh, things grow, they think we ebb and flow, and that's just kind of a matter of life. If you were talking to a young, a young man in his teens, and maybe somebody who is thinking about a variety of paths in their life, what would you what would you tell them about masonry? What would you what would you try to inspire a young person to think about? masonry I think masonry has a lot to offer young men in terms of guidance there are a set of guiding principles in masonry that are we accept men of all faiths you don't have to be any particular faith and in today's day and age that means you know Christians uh, Jews Hindus Muslims Buddhists you name it Um, it involves everyone you only have to profess a belief in a higher power and be over the age of either 18 or 21, depending on the state. Um, the rules aren't, the requirements aren't real strong, but that's because we want to be open to a, a wide variety. And so I would say to young men, it's a good opportunity to get exposed to different points of view, to learn from different kinds of men. Uh, what I was saying before is for me, it's been a good opportunity to interact with those older, those men of that older generation that I don't have any in my life. My grandfathers died when I was fairly young, both of them. My father was, you know, they were divorced and he wasn't around and and now he's passed. So it's given me a great opportunity to interact with those men of different generations and different types of men from all walks of life. I would say that masonry is, you don't have to be, let's say you're 18 or 21 and you get involved. A lot of guys jump in with both feet and start doing all this stuff. You don't have to do that. You can you know, kind of be on the side and, and, and gradually get involved over a course of years. Or maybe you just go every now and then for the first five or ten years in your 20s when you're raising your family. That's okay. But it's a good place to have a sounding board of men who are of high quality, who have a moral uh, compass, a moral uh, standing point we all start from, that, that we are all moral men. We all believe in treating each other well and, and living a good life. So that's hard to find if you're in your 20s and you're hanging out at the bars and you're partying. We're all young. We've all been, been there. But some of, those, some of those friends will take you down the wrong path in life. We, I, I've seen it happen. I'm lucky it didn't happen to me. But they, could, they could take you down the wrong path and really have a very negative impact on your life. So masonry is a great uh, guiding moral compass. Um, and, 
I think that's the, the best thing it has to offer men who are looking. You've got you've to be curious and got to be interested in that or masonry is not for you. So what inspired you to do these interviews in the first place? I think uh, I wish I would have had the opportunity to know something about my grandfather's life in masonry. He was involved for, I think it was 15 years in Indiana, and when he moved from Indiana, Illinois, he did he no longer participated. He did not join a lodge in, in Illinois. When I spoke to the Grand Lodge of Indiana, they said he was dropped for non-payment of dues, so he must have moved and not paid his dues, and that was it. Um, my father and my uncle, they didn't know much about his Masonic history or influence, so I didn't know anything about him. And as I was getting involved and excited about masonry, I wish I could have, wish I could have reached out to him and known something about him. I wish there was some sort of uh, resource. I actually was able to get a picture of him from his uh, uh, graduating class in the Scottish Rite. Uh, after I became a member of the Scottish Rite, I reached out to the Scottish Rite uh, Northern Jurisdiction, which is where my grandfather was, and I was able to get a picture of him from his class in the Scottish Rite, which was awesome, but I keep wanting more, right? And then I think about some of the men... That other men have been masons. I found out the, my great grandfather on my mom's side was a Shriner in Chicago. I know nothing about him yet. Still know nothing other than what, what I've heard from the family. I know that there are some masons uh, that have gone through Arizona number two, uh, like Sam Lebo. People talk a lot about, or uh, um, um, I'm not going to remember his name, but there's there's guys who we know nothing. We don't have any record of. We have some photos of them. We, we might have some dates of when they were raised, those sorts of things, but we don't have the sound of their voice. We don't have a video of them talking or acting. We have stories. And I thought, you know, I want to be able to capture that story of those Masons who mean so much to all of us now, those brothers, for future generations of Masons, but not just future generations of Masons, for that guy who comes along, for that young man who comes along in 100 years like me, who says, you know, my, my great-great-grandfather was a Mason in Phoenix. I wish, I wish I knew something about him. All of a sudden, boom, here's this recording of his great-grandfather that he can listen to and find out what Masonry meant to his great-grandfather. To me, that's, a, that's, that's really important, and that's, that's what I wanted to leave behind for family members and for other brothers is that personal journey that each of us take in masonry, what it means to us for future generations. Well, that's an incredible gift. I appreciate you doing that. Um, I guess, is there anything else that you would like to share? Imagine somebody's listening to all of these recordings and they come, come across yours. And, and um, at this point, I feel like you shared quite a bit, but is there anything else that maybe we haven't talked about that is important to you that you'd like to let the listeners know? Uh, a couple of things, I suppose. Um, uh, one of the things I always ask people is, can you tell me about some uh, Masons who have made a big impact on you? Um, there, are, there are a lot I can think of. Um, I'm going to start out with kind of an odd one because I've interviewed him and I told him this story, um, but his name is uh, Matthew Majors. He's a Marine and he was the marshal first or second year I was in masonry. 
And I remember him coming to lodge one night and he was selling some guns for a friend whose father had passed away. And I remember saying to him, oh, yeah, if you got a Kimber, I'd love a Kimber. I'd be interested in a Kimber. And he said, well, funny enough, I do. I said, oh, great, bring it next week. And I was only a fellow craft at this point. And uh, I remember coming to lodge the next week and he was there and I had to go upstairs because I was practicing my ritual and I wanted to be prepared that night. I think I was going to do my proficiency. I, I uh, told him, I'm going to go upstairs. When you bring it in, let me know, and I'll come take a look at it. Well, I went upstairs, and then by the time I came back down, he had sold it to Mike DiGiacomo. And I was, I was a little put back. I was like, okay, I didn't, still didn't know a whole lot about this masonry thing. I thought, you know, I had expect an, expressed an interest. He had this thing. I thought he would give me first opportunity. That just seemed like the polite thing to do, and he didn't. And I was... I was put off. I was so put off that I didn't like him. I did not like Matthew Maynard. I literally, when I would see him, I would just be like, I don't like that guy. And all I had was because I didn't get what I wanted. And I got to know him a little bit. I, I got a chance to talk to him. I know a little bit about his story. And he, he said to me the same thing a lot of other Masons say. He says, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm broken. I'm not a good man. I'm trying to be a better man. And I remember him saying some of these things to me. One night he was outside and he locked himself out of his car and I helped him get into his car and we had a nice conversation. And I realized that this was the first lesson for me in masonry. This was that first chiseling away at my rough ashlar that I had no good reason to dislike him, to dislike Matt, because I didn't get to buy a gun that I wanted. It wasn't about him telling me he was going to let me see it and me not getting it. That wasn't what it was about. It was about, I was going to judge a man because I didn't get what I wanted. And I, I was kind of ashamed of myself that I was that shallow, that, uh, that I would just dislike him because he seemed like a genuinely good guy that like a lot of us, we're men. We can be idiots. A lot of times we're just idiots. Sometimes we just don't think right. And Matt's no longer, no different. I'm no different. So I was literally disappointed in myself that I thought that way. And, and I'd like to share that story because that was my first lesson in masonry about being a better man. My second lesson in masonry is an, an ever-developing um, story. Uh, I met Mike DiGiacomo, and I love Mike to death. Mike knows how to push my buttons. <laughs> Mike was in the kitchen the second, second or third, second year, I think I was in masonry. Mike makes some dang good food. And Mike has a way of getting everybody, when Mike, he, he just pushes and pushes until he gets to make something happen. So Mike knows how to make something happen, but sometimes he would push my buttons and really push me the wrong way. And Mike is a lot like my brother in that way. So I learned, but he's not my brother. So my brother, I give a lot of slack because he's my brother. And he can do and say pretty much whatever he wants, and tomorrow he's still my brother. But Mike wasn't my brother, but he wasn't masonry. So I had to learn to look past those imperfections and say, you know, I still love you. You're still very important to me. I don't want to lose that. I've got to set aside that right I think I have to be indignant or angry or upset about whatever was said or done. And I just had to set that aside. And that was a, that was a very good lesson for me. And Mike embodies most of those things we think about Freemasonry. He, you, you need something, he will drop whatever he was doing and come to you, whatever you need. I mean, I, I don't think I've met anybody else that's that willing as Mike is to do that. Um, uh, but he can also really piss you off. 
like nobody's business. So when I think of those, that caring attitude, that willingness to do anything, that's what I take away from Mike. And uh, Bill Gerard is another one. I'm always impressed by Bill. Whenever I'm speaking with Bill, Bill makes me feel important, like I'm the only person in the room. Like he's paying attention to me. I've always wanted to do that for other people because I think it's a skill and I think it's something that people really appreciate that when you're talking to them, you're talking to them. You're important. You feel important. So Bill Bill has given that to me for sure. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of other other people. Those, those are the first three that stand out. And like a lot of my interviews, you know, there's so many different men that, that make such a big difference to us in masonry. Um, it's hard to pick them out and tell those stories. Um, other things I want to say, um, I think one of the things that's kind of important to me in masonry twofold are charities and our Masonic landmarks. I'm very passionate. I've always had kind of a love for old buildings and architecture. And uh, only at 28 minutes, we're fine. Uh, <laughs> my longest interview so far was 57 minutes, I think it was. Um, I love old buildings and architecture. And when I see our building downtown, the temple, I'm very passionate about that. I feel like that's one of the things that drew me into masonry. And Arizona Lodge, number two in particular, I didn't look at any other lodges. I didn't go talk to anybody else. I walked in that room with you, and that's it. I was home. No ifs, ands, or buts. So I, I have a, a passion and a, a desire to help do whatever I can for that building. So I, I want to take on some projects and, and see if I can help raise some funds and, and work towards this 10-year anniversary in, in uh, 2026. 2016, isn't it? Oh, 2026. 2026, our building will be 100 years old. Right. And I really want to work towards and build a plan and help save this building, improve it, and make it the jewel of masonry that I think it is and should be for all of Masons in Arizona because I think it's an it's a incredibly beautiful building, an incredible history of masonry in Arizona. But not just that building. I, I feel passionate about I want to go visit the George Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. I want to go see the Scottish Rite Temple in D.C. I've already had the opportunity. To, I just came back from Easter in Illinois, and I got a chance to tour the new Scottish Rite building in Bloomingdale, Illinois, which was just a fascinating. They built it 10 years ago, and they sold their old building in downtown Chicago, and it was a very old building. Uh, it was, they acquired it after the Chicago fire, uh, shortly after, because the church who was going to rebuild it didn't want to spend the money, so they bought it. So I, it, it was really cool to see what would you do in Freemasonry today? If you were going to build a brand new temple and lodge, what would you do? Well, that's what they did with the Scottish Rite building. They've got a, a blue lodge room. There are blue lodges that meet there. Um, it's just a fascinating look at here's modern masonry. Here's what we can do. So I, I love the buildings and the architecture. I got a chance to, to view the Scottish Rite Temple in Moline, Illinois as well. Again, a beautiful old building with flying buttresses and the whole nine yards. It was just astonishing. So I have a passion for those buildings. I want to do what I can to help uh, save those those monuments and those pieces of history because as time goes on, we'll lose some of those. And I think we need to preserve some of that uh, grandeur of, of days gone past in masonry. And I want to help do that in Phoenix as well. The second thing is I'm very interested in charity just because I feel like uh, 
I feel like I've been very lucky. When I was a kid, my parents got divorced when I was young. I feel like I didn't have a lot of uh, guidance. I didn't really know what I was going to do in life. I remember not even knowing what I go to college, what am I going to do in life? I had a lot of dreams and I really didn't know, but I got through it all. I feel like I, you know, it was, it was a little bit rough for me as a kid. I, I was one of those kids that kind of got picked on a little bit. And uh, uh, when I look back at that time in my life, it's like, I just feel blessed that I got through un- unscathed, so to speak. I feel I'm, in, I'm emotionally healthy. I'm physically healthy. Uh, you know, I went through a, a period of uh, drug use in my youth that uh, could have gone another way, uh, and I'm very, very happy that I was able to to work through that. And uh, I just feel very lucky in life, so I want to be able to share that with as many people as I can. And in a lot of ways, I share that with my nieces and nephews whenever I can, and and from a family perspective. But I want to do more than that and do something for people who really need help, who are really unfortunate. I mean, we wake up every day, we've got electricity, we've got food in the refrigerator, we get in our car and go to the store if we need something. We're very lucky. Uh, there's a lot of people who aren't that lucky. And I want to help those people genuinely, whether that be SMA or MDA for my niece, whether it be helping feed the homeless, whether it's, um, you know, uh, passing out blankets or food or whatever, I want to be able to do as much of that stuff as I can. Um, maybe all the time. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm not really sure what direction that will go. Um, what else? I'm kind of rambling here at this point. That's it. I think we're done. I think we've come to the end of our interview. I, you know, I think one of the, I'll, I'll go with this. One of the questions I always ask, uh, it may, I ask guys I'm interviewing, I ask, what would you say to, you already asked it, what would you say to young men or Masons in the future, 50 or 100 years from now? Mm. You can ask me, what what would I say that masonry has to offer them? But what I would say in general about masonry or young men who are curious is, if you're looking, if you're searching, if you're seeking, you're a searcher, you're a seeker. Not everybody is like that. We think it is. You might you might just push that thought to the to the back, and you might think, oh, everybody's curious. They're not. Everyone is not curious. Everyone is not a seeker. Everyone is not a searcher. If you are. You've got to feed that. You've got to give it because that, that flame is really what life is about. That You have to nurture that flame inside you or it goes out or you, you become bitter over time because maybe you didn't feed that. And I think that's what masonry has to offer all people. And that's whether you're a mason or maybe you're helped by a Masonic organization or maybe you're involved in uh, Job's Daughters or Demo Lay or Eastern Star that... I think mason, masonry is a nourishment of the soul and the spirit. And we have that a lot in churches. I was, I was raised Catholic. I grew up a Christian. I still consider myself a Christian. I don't go to church, maybe because there was something missing for me in, in that church perspective. But I think you can have both. You can go to church and you can be in masonry. They feed different parts of you. And I think masonry strips away that uh, maybe the guilt or the weight that sometimes comes with uh, organized religion and you just realize that it's about being a better person. It's about helping people. It's about constantly nourishing that spirit inside you so that you don't um, go the wrong way. You don't become bitter. And every day I get more and more excited when I'm doing something and seeing stuff in masonry that I've got to be careful that I don't just consume myself because I see, I meet somebody else who feels the same way or has, has been affected in such a positive way that it, it makes me feel good. And I, and I want to share that. I want people to know that that's what it is. If I had known that's what it was 
20 years ago, I would have joined. But I just thought it was just this other fraternal organization. And there's a lot of those groups that do so much good. I'm, I don't want to belittle Kiwanis or Lions International, all those groups, or Knights of Columbus, all those groups have an incredible purpose. But one of the things that masonry has is that nourishment of the soul and that, and that feeding the flame inside you. And that's, if you want that and if you're seeking that, this is the place for you. Bo, I want to thank you on behalf of all Masons everywhere from now and into eternity. <laughs> you started something. You set out on a goal to accomplish a hundred of these interviews or as many as you could by the end of the day today. And I'd like to say thank you personally. I think I was your first interview in you this were. process. And uh, we've known each other a long time, and I'm honored to be maybe the last or among the very last interviews that you'll do. And so you didn't make the goal of 100, but hopefully others will listen and maybe others I'll, will... I'll do 100. It just won't happen by the end of March. Okay, so you'll, you'll hit your goal, just not by your deadline. But right. that's okay. And maybe it will inspire others to do the same in their lodges or in their jurisdictions. Uh, and um, we can only hope that these kinds of records get maintained and go viral and those kinds of things. So thanks again for taking on this kind of project. I think it's, it's noble and it's important, and I think everybody that you've spoken to would probably agree that it's a worthwhile endeavor. Thanks, Ben. You've been listening to On the Level with Bo Buchanan and Ben Passman.